Hello and welcome back to Future of Film podcast. My name is Alex Stoltz. I'm the founder of Future of Film, host of this show, where it is our purpose, our mission to share insights and strategies from the pioneers, the trailblazers, the disruptors who are shaping film's future. And today I'm delighted to welcome back to the show the super story architect himself, Houston Howard. Houston is Executive Vice President, Content Incubation and Transmedia Development at Grammarai Media, the Atlanta, Georgia-based cross-platform studio. Houston is a recognized thought leader in the entertainment and branding communities because of his unique and proprietary transmedia approach to story. He's advised entities such as Mattel, Disney Imagineering, Reliance Media Works, West Coast Customs, Samuel Goldwyn Films, and Harper Collins Publishing, to name a few. He's the author of two books on the subject, including The Brilliant You're Gonna Need a Bigger Story, which is a highly practical toolkit for approaching franchise building. In this conversation houston joined future film incubator 2023 to talk with us about his work in creating story worlds that can form the basis of ip driven businesses and franchises and what's so exciting about this approach i think is that it's it's available to anyone anyone can set out a story world at, at the inception point but thinking about it in terms of the market how to scale it is well i guess that's the secret source that houston shares with us in this episode it's chock full of practical tips checklists and examples and really has so much value for anyone involved in storytelling and it's all delivered with houston's customary passion generosity and rigor it's one of those conversations again where I just felt really privileged to be part of, and I hope you get as much out of it as I did. So that just leads me to say thank you for listening, and please enjoy this conversation recorded as part of Future of Film Incubator 2023 with the one and only Houston Howard. Houston, welcome back to Future of Film. I'm proud to be here. Thank you for having me. Thanks so much. Um, so let's just dive right in. Houston, why world building and why now? Well, you know, it's really interesting because I spend my career, especially my career, you know, in um, multi-platform storytelling, uh, transmedia storytelling, making sure that we have an IP focus uh, with our entertainment that uh, allow all the stories work together to tell one big story. Uh, and it's a really super exciting model. But what's interesting is I work with a lot of people on that, a lot of creators, a lot of studios, and a lot of people have trouble with a multi-platform model. And most of it isn't the transmedia strategy. Most of it is that world building, the world building they've done for the projects just hasn't been done in a way to support the architecture of, of IP or of a, of a multi-platform strategy. And so I've spent the past several years uh, really doing just as much world building as I've done transmedia strategy uh, and transmedia development for people. Because if you don't have that foundation of world building, uh, it becomes very difficult to um, 
to grow an IP. And so I think in today's age, uh, especially this like crazy, disruptive, volatile marketplace that we're in, we're in it's oversaturated, it's commoditized, um, the, the technological disruptions are seemingly every day. Uh, we have to future-proof our IPs in a way that allows us to be liquid, uh, allows us to be flexible, allows us to go in different directions. And if you are, if you're operating in single channel storytelling, that, which is, which is great, by the way, I mean, we need stories, but, it, but what single channel storytelling does for you that, that doesn't have a foundation of world building is it's going to live, it's going to hem you in and limit your possibilities for pivoting. And so you're going to go, you know, all in on one thing. And then when that thing changes, you're going to be kind of stuck and you have to figure out how to adapt that single story into some other things. Uh, but if you have work, if you have a, the, the world built, right, the world will be an engine to present new opportunities. And so I just think anybody, you know, if we were, if we were back in like, you know, 1992 or 1987 or 1976 MGM studios type of Hollywood, then I don't, this is important. I, the market's different. Technology is different. Um, uh, but now everything is just so crazy. We have to be ready to move in any direction. And you're not going to be able to do that unless you have a good foundation of world building. So how do we get to that point? It makes a lot of sense. So you can pivot, you can be nimble, you can respond to opportunities, I suppose. But where do you, sure. where do you start? How do you go about this? And can this apply to like, any projects or does it have to be science yeah. fiction for example sure no it's, i mean it's, it's i mean it's a really good question because you know it, i think where you start is is mindset you know so i so i grew up a, a child of the 80s uh and you know really just cut my teeth on you know things like star wars and uh you know tolkien with middle earth and transformers and, and all sort of big ip stuff and so my dna was sort of naturally lends itself to to that type of project um but uh, but now I think what we see in the marketplace isn't that world building is exclusive to fantasy or sci-fi. Uh, I think we can learn a lot of things from Game of Thrones and Harry Potter and Star Wars, and we can really understand a lot from master world builders, uh, Stephanie Meyer, uh, looking at uh, something like um, The Hunger Games. There's a lot of lessons that we can learn, but we can extract those principles and apply them to things that are in different genres, like, uh, you know, historical fiction or, you know, uh, sort of more sort of gritty inner city dramas that you want to do. You know, some of my favorite, some of my favorite worlds uh, that I think just has expert world building just don't have anything to do with fantasy or sci-fi. Um, a show on HBO Max, HBO, uh, uh, or I guess it's Max, just Max now, uh, uh, it's called Warrior. It's based on... Um, it's turn of the century Chinatown in San Francisco uh, and based on Bruce Lee's short stories, absolutely Tolkien-esque world building in 1890 Chinatown. It's absolutely fantastic. Uh, the Wire, uh, which should be uh, essential viewing for anybody that moves into entertainment, absolutely fantastic world building in Baltimore. Um, Stars Hollow in Gilmore Girls. I think Stars Hollow is a great wor uh, world. Um, Wingat, Missouri in, in Sharp Objects. Um, uh, I think The Godfather has tremendous world building. Um, animated movie Klaus, uh, if you saw that on Netflix, I think it has a tremendous world building. Uh, Sweet Tooth, even things like songs have great, can have great world building. I think um, 
like Hotel California, the old Eagles song, uh, has like a, just a ready-made story world for you to, anybody to jump into to you know create comic books and movies and limited series and et cetera, et cetera. And that just sets up a, a world in a song. It doesn't have anything to do with superheroes or zombies or you know wizards or Jedi. Uh, and so that, but they all have the the same architecture, the same bones that uh, that if you you know you look at something like Tolkien or C.S. Lewis or or George Lucas, uh, you can see a very specific architecture. And and I think connecting the dots between those big story worlds that are also iconic, figuring out kind of what makes them work. Um, and then, and then tying them to something smaller, something um, out of the genre, I think is really interesting. Kevin Smith is—I'm a big Kevin Smith fan. Uh, so I, you know, I grew up. I was in—I was in—I uh, was in high school in the '90s when Kevin Smith really broke in with Clerks, and Clerks like, you know, blew my mind when I when I saw it. Um, and uh, what's interesting about Kevin Smith's work. The, sort of his, his late '90s work with Clerks and Chasing Amy, and so all those early Kevin Smith things—they were all interconnected. And uh, you know, they 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 crossed over characters. They were all set in a, in a specific story world. Uh, they all referenced each other in a really interesting way, and that is really what set him apart from all those other sort of indie filmmakers in the late '90s because he created his own interconnected story world that, to tell these you know talky little raunchy. Jersey stories. Uh, but what's super interesting about it is he learned that technique because he grew up on Marvel Comics. And uh, Reed Richards from the Fantastic Four uh, knew Daredevil because they both lived in Hell's Kitchen. And so uh, he was used to Jessica Jones and Daredevil and, and Reed Richards and all these different characters from these different stories living in one place and crossing those stories over. And so he used the technique of Marvel Comics and applied it to thirty thousand dollar black and white indie film uh, that doesn't have anything have to do with, that doesn't have anything to do with superheroes, and so that I think is the is is such the sort of the exciting opportunity uh, for for all of us to be able to look at big properties that that um, that do so well, but they may not be your thing. They may you, you may not love superheroes or zombies or anything like that. Uh, but they have an architecture and some principles that they tap on that they tap into that if you can extract those principles and apply them to your thing, all of a sudden I think you can get some similar results. It may not be exactly the same. There may be some sort of limitation, but but what you can actually build into build into a non sort of genre film or a genre project is 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 pretty amazing. I'm working on the project right now. Um, I'm the head of, of uh, franchise development and transmedia incubation for a new studio uh, that's launching in Atlanta. And uh, uh, I, I'm, I run a, a development team that is all about tricking out projects and building in multi-platform DNA and world building DNA. And so uh, um, the very first project that came across my desk was not superheroes, not fantasy, not sci-fi. It's a historical fiction about... Uh, a time in the 1500s when Leonardo da Vinci solved the murder. And it's a murder mystery historical fiction book that has like 0% Marvel DNA, 0%, no, no Jedi, there's no lightsabers. There's no, like you would look at this thing and say, there's no way that you would be able to build a foundation, a world building that presents multi-platform transmediated storytelling. But we pop the hood, we installed a lot of really interesting world building architecture that's straight out of Rowling, that's straight out of Lucas, that's straight out of 
C.S. Lewis and Tolkien. And all of a sudden, now we look at the project and we say, oh, my God, like this thing can be so many things because we went and built the foundation of a story world using those principles. You know, I, I, I look at a um, like a 777 jet flying through the sky. And what's interesting about a big jet is the big jet is using the law of lift to supersede the law of gravity. So that's how a plane flies, right? So it's a real simple law of physics is it, the law lift supersedes the law of gravity and that allows the plane to fly. Well, I can't build my own 777. It takes billions of dollars to build over however many hundreds of millions of dollars to build a 777, can't do it. But if I take a sheet of paper and fold it in a real specific way and make a paper airplane and throw that paper airplane across the room, that little paper airplane uses the same law of lift to supersede the very same law of gravity that the big plane's doing. They're both tapping into the same laws and tapping into the same principles. So thank God that, that Tolkien and Lewis and Lucas and Rowling and all these folks came before us because they proved the laws of entertainment in, in, in regards to world building. And they just proved them so we can now take them and apply them to our smaller paper airplane. Now, there's going to be some differences, like, you know, uh, as far as how far it can travel and things like that. But you don't always have to go giant, huge zombie IP to be able to tap into world building or whatever it is or fantasy. You don't have to be, you know, you don't have to be Middle Earth, um, but you can use some of that same architecture in a way that really presents new opportunities for you. And that's it. And obviously, you know, if you're not having to make back. Um, uh, you know, hundreds of millions of uh, productions. <laughs> you can, you don't need to hit the, the four quadrant market, um, but you can, you can make something sustainable. Um, I was, ex- I was a bit excited there about um, Leonardo da Vinci finding lightsabers, but you've, you've, you've <laughs> 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 that would be awesome. Well, was, okay, let's let's. What are, what are these principles then? You know, what where would you start? Where would you advise people to start Houston um, in terms of, you know, building in some of these principles? What what would you recommend? Yeah. So, I mean, what I would recommend, I think, you know, uh, the essential elements for a great story world, I think at the bare minimum where you, you have to you have to understand what a story world is. It's really geography and uh, really understanding place. And so story world's a place. It's not a person. It's not an event. It's not a story. It's, it's, a, it's an interesting place where stories happen and interesting people live, right? So you have to get that mindset of, of, of I need the place to be interesting. Um, so I think the bare minimum for a great story world is an interesting place with character groups in conflict. Um, and uh, if you can have a really interesting place with character groups in conflict, then all of a sudden... You, you have a pretty good story world. I think the, the rule of thumb that I use is, is you want to ask yourself, can I take out my main character uh, or my story, my plot? Can I take my, my main character or my plot out of my story world and still have something interesting left? Right. And if you do, you have a pretty good story world. Right. So can you take Luke Skywalker out of Star Wars and still have something interesting? Absolutely. Can you take Harry Potter out of Harry Potter and still have something interesting? Absolutely. Um, Can you take Sherlock Holmes out of Sherlock Holmes and still have something interesting? That's a closer call. Uh, James Bond out of James Bond is also another close call. Um, Can you take Rocky out of Rocky? Um, Maybe with Creed. Right. But, But like that, even. Even Rocky was in the first two Creed movies. I think, you know, it, you can see there's a difference between taking Rocky out of Rocky and 
Luke Skywalker out of, out of Star Wars because because Rocky was built around a character um, rather than a world. Uh, Star Wars was built around a world that has an interesting character in it. And so uh, you don't want your story world to, to, to sit on the shoulder of a, of a singular character or a singular story. So if you can take your interesting story out uh, and your interesting character out, you have something pretty good. And then you can put your interesting character back in and, and have that interesting story there. You know, my, my wife, my wife, um, uh, you know, we have a, we have a two-year-old, we have a nine-year-old, so we're still in little kid land. And, uh, they, um, my wife wanted to write a, uh, write a children's book about, um, a cat and a mouse who get along despite the fact that the world says they should be enemies. Right. And, uh, cute little kid's book. And, and I, you know, I'm reading it and I'm, I'm hearing her idea. And I say, you know, uh, sweetie, what you need is a story world, right? Because she had characters and she had, a, she had a, she had a story. She had a story world, which, you know, these, these conversations always go over really well uh, in the Howard household. But um, uh, so, so we were talking about it. But what was interesting is I, I just read an article about how at Disney World, every night when the park is closing, they let out a thousand cats into the park, a thousand cats um, to catch all the mice overnight. Um, and then in the morning when the sun comes up, there's somebody that, that pulls all the cats in, literally somebody that herds the cats, right? Um, and it's because they can't, they can't use rat poison uh, to, to, to kill the mice or the rats because, you know, it's, it's a danger to the kids. You don't want to do, you know, uh, a, a mouse trap because little Timmy turns the corner and Mickey has a, broken neck in front of him that's not good uh so there's there's all these reasons why they have to use the sort of the organic method of pest control with your cats and i it was an interesting article i read about it but it hit me i said you know what like what if that that's the story world this theme park and this theme park uh is is full of sort of this game of thrones warfare between cats and mice and so at the, when the sun goes down and the park closes the cats and mice they go out and they sort of engage in sort of this game of thrones warfare they fly for area control all over the the park um the uh the, the mice could also have a, a, an alliance with the rats which are a little bit a little bit different because the rats are more berserker uh but the mice are there because um they they're they're there to worship the great mouse so they have they believe they have a religious right to be in the park and so that adds a little extra that israeli-palestinian conflict will weave into that story world and in the morning when the sun comes up you know they 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 yeah, go back and, and, and into their corners and they uh th there's also the political intrigue into the different factions within when each you know each side and then the, the sun goes down again and they they go back at it I was like, this is awesome. This is like such a cool story world. And, you know, immediately you think, okay, that could be a cartoon. That could be an animated thing. That could be comic book. That could be a video game. All this possibility starts popping out. And I said, that's your story world. And she said, well, well, where's my story? Like, what about my story? And I said, oh, no, this is the best thing. This is the punchline is you put your two characters back in. And now we have the story of a cat and we have the story of a mouse and who, who decide to be friends despite the fact that the world says that they're supposed to be enemies. It's the same story, right? But now that story has context, right? That story has, 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 uh, has a texture and a tapestry around it that informs you as to something greater, but you can still tell that same story with those same characters, but now it's richer because of the story world, right? She hated it, didn't do it. But I think it's a, it's a fantastic idea, but it, but, but you see, like, there's the, like, you can take this, the cat and the mouse out and that one story out, 
and the world still works, right? So, so I like to start with, you know, make it really, really super simple. Uh, the five P's of world building. I think if you understand the five P's of world building, you, 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 uh, you really future-proof your IP. I think that the first P is called premise, right? Real super easy premise. And that is defining the theme and the hook of your world. Like, why is your world interesting? And what are you trying to say with the world? What's your personal commentary with the world? Um, Frank Herbert is, you know, we, you, you, when you, anybody would ask him about Dune, he wouldn't talk about sandworms. He would talk about politics. He would talk about the environment. He would, he would, like he like all of Dune was a metaphor for his political, you know, thoughts and commentary. Uh, same with George Lucas. You ask him about story. How'd you come up with Star Wars? He starts talking about, you know, tyrannical governments and how he's the child of the Vietnam era and, you know, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. Uh, great story worlds are reflections of the heart of the creator. And they understand what they want to say through the story world. So the story world has purpose. And so uh, that's a great place, place to start and, and, and uh, the hook. So those two things make up, what I think, the premise is, is what's the commercial idea and what's the emotional thematic idea. Um, and, uh, and that's just the, that's the first P. Then you move into place. Uh, so premise, then place. That's all about defining your geography. Like, how do you create a map? Like, literally force yourself to draw a map of your world, you know? Uh, I remember when I was 12 and I read The Hobbit and you open up the, t the front of the book and you have uh, you have the map there. Uh, maps are great for audience engagement. It's great for creating new story potential and new story ideas for you as a creator. Uh, but it forces you to understand the geography, which really solidifies it as a, as a story. world. also helps forward against continuity errors when you do new stories, right? You can keep everything straight. Um, so first one is premise. Second one is place. Third one is people. So, uh, so when, I, when you build a world, don't think of individual characters, think of groups of characters, okay, groups of characters. So don't just think of uh, one child who uh, is gonna be a wizard, think of a whole school of wizards. Uh, uh, think instead of one Jedi, think of the whole order of the Jedi. Instead of one cop, think of the police department. Uh, instead of one zombie, make it a group of zombies, you know, it, because what that does, it increases story potential and it keeps you from having the, the story world um, anchored by one character. And so, um, so think in groups, make sure those groups are in conflict. Uh, so, you know, th there's, there needs to be conflict because conflict is the, the heart of drama and you need drama for stories. Um, so premise, place, people, four P's of what I call practices. So what do people do in this world? What's the culture, right? So this is where you start thinking about like, okay, what are, you know, what kind of language do they speak? What kind, like conlang, um, uh, flora, fauna, um, religions, music, fashion, all that stuff. Now, what's interesting is, is, you know, you can look at something like Pandora and Avatar and you see hundreds of new animals and hundreds of different, you know, new plants. Like that's one way to do it. But if you're operating in a story world that already exists, then it's more research-based. It's more you go and you read about the, the fashion of people in Chinatown in 1890. You read about, you know, what are the, uh, the, the plants and the animals that are indigenous to that area uh, in that time period. And those things just create the texture of the world. Uh, so, but it doesn't always, you know, involve sort of creating new stuff. Um, how did people talk? How do, you know, what are, you know, these little colloquial, 
colloquialisms that people use uh, that, that define a story world, like really understanding that or inventing those, right, in a really interesting way. Um, uh, so people talk in a, in a unique way that is bespoke to your story world. I'm a big fan of Deadwood, uh, the old HBO show, and Deadwood had just a tremendous speech pattern of, of the characters that did not reflect actual South Dakota during the gold rush. People didn't talk like that, but it was, it was crafted for that particular IP and it really made something really unique. Um, so think about some of those cultural aspects of it. And then the last, the last of the five pieces pass, uh, creating a narrative history. Uh, all great story worlds have a history. They all came from somewhere. They all, you know, how did you get to where you are? Maybe where, how is the story world even going to change in the future after your story? You know, how do you, uh, some story worlds have 10,000 years of narrative history. Some have a hundred, uh, uh, but some have 50, uh, some have 10. Uh, doesn't, you know, there's no sort of, it's not math. You're going to have to do a certain amount, um, but under, understanding the rich history of your story world also helps build the place. So premise, place, people, practices, past. If you can just work through those five things, super practical. Guys, listen, I've been to so many world building conferences, masterclass stuff, and man, it's it. The thing that hits me most is people. Most people that talk about world building make it so impractical they like they start talking about all the physics and all the science and all the like they get into all the minutiae and it gets so overwhelming and and it becomes so overwhelming you're like i just want to tell stories right and you just kind of zoom past it and i'm like a super super practical guy like i'm you know i'm, I'm a practitioner so i i want to be able to to to, to move fast um tolkien had he took 17 years to build Middle Earth before we ever told a story in Middle Earth. Um, uh, we don't want to do that, right? We want to avoid, I, I call that world builder's disease. We want to avoid world builder's disease because we want to move fast, right? I mean, you can take 17 years if you want. Most of us, we need to move a lot faster. Um, I, I always suggest if you can try to work through the five Ps um, and, and, and start to just pin some of these ideas in, then, you don't have to completely finish the story world before you start telling the story. Um, I'm a fan of get it to about 75, 80% done. Um, and you don't really know. I mean, again, it's not a math problem, but like you don't have to completely finish it. You know when it's about 80% right. And then you can start your storytelling and through your storytelling, you'll suss out the last 20% naturally, right? Because now you're getting a different perspective that's taking you through you know just by the fact you're taking you're going through a plot with the character will naturally give you a different perspective and you'll say oh, well, oh that that's a cool idea that's a cool idea that's a cool idea so um so you know i i would really suggest just you know getting to about 80 percent level uh get these ideas pinned in and you start kind of moving around but it's it there's so much opportunity when you when you just take the time to build a world I mean, even if you took, I mean, even if you took, you know, I mean, you can, you can build a pretty robust world relatively fast when you have sort of an architecture, sort of a, a plan to do it. But when you take the time and invest the time, you'll automatically see, Ooh, I could do that. And I could do that. And I could do that. And it becomes this engine of opportunity that, that you just, you get excited about because narrative opportunities really, really pop out. And when, when you see narrative opportunity, 
when it naturally pops out. What's super cool is other people will as well. And that, and, you know, and so when you can get other people excited about it, ooh, you know, that could be comic books and that could be film and that could be the uh, immersive experience and that could be an animated series. When you hit the right world building vein, people will start to see that in your world. And when that happens, then there's some, you know, there's some market opportunities for you out there because if you can get the right people excited about your world, and they can see start seeing that opportunity even without you pitching it to them. They will see that opportunity there. Then you know there's a business op- opportunity that kind of opened up for you right there. So you're listening to Future of Film podcast with me, Alex Stoltz. Thank you for listening. And if you want to find out more about Future of Film, head over to futureoffilm.live. If you're not already, you can already sign up to our newsletter there which contains not only the latest opportunities and news from Future of Film, but also our pick of the latest articles and opportunities from across the industry. So that's all available now at futureoffilm.live. And now back to the show. I'm interested about what you're saying there about the, you know people seeing opportunity in the, in the world you've developed and... How do you, you know, from your experience, how do you like communicate this opportunity to investors or partners or producers, finances? Because, you know, everyone wants a script, right? <laughs> um, or at least a lot of the time. So how do you how do you kind of position it? Yeah. So I think you have to, you always have to position it. it well, it, one, it depends on to whom you're pitching, right? Who you're talking to. Some people will always want a script because that's their job. Like they're, they're literally their job description is to get a script from you. And if you talk to them about anything else, they're, it's just not going to compute. So you have to, you have to be empathetic to that. Right. But, uh, um, but for, for most people, um, when you talk to private equity finance, or when you talk to, you know, uh, some, some higher level people, some independent producers, then you just really have to lean into the value of the story world. Uh, and understand what the value of a story world is. The the value of a story world, the story potential. Uh, a story world. I am one hundred percent convinced that the revenue potential of an IP is wholly determined by the quality of the story world. And so, uh, what do what do investors care about? They care about revenue potential, right? They uh, they, they want to make money. So you have to be empathetic to that. That's the thing that is going to motivate them. So I think I think. Story worlds create story potential. Story potential creates revenue potential, and revenue potential makes investors happy. And so, when so when you talk about when you go and talk to um, an investor or or stakeholders in different ways, and you're just talking about like your weird flora and fauna that you created, or like the you know like some obscure parts of the story world, and you get like way deep in the weeds and all that you know of your story world because you've taken you know the six months to really build this really super interesting world and you want to talk about fashion and all that stuff that's all cool but 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 you always have to build pull it back to what's going to motivate that person uh, uh and, and if if they're ma- motivated by the financial opportunity in an entertainment model then you always have to kind of bring it back to that and um so there's like you know, the, the, you know, the real practical guy, I think in a templates and, and I always have this template in my head when I'm talking to someone, uh, whether it's an investor or a studio. And um, it's, if you position this template and, and you use this template, every time you talk to a stakeholder, it helps you. And the template is, here's my creative idea. 
and this is why it makes business sense for you, right? And if you just like insert, like always use those two things, right? Like here's my creative idea, and this is why it makes business sense for you. Then you will always be pulling it back to the value. So, uh, you know, you, you can talk about like, your, the, you know, this cool world. This is the creative idea. And why does this world make business sense for you, the producer? What well, makes business sense for you? Because I, I'm not looking just to get one product out of this world. I'm looking to get a hundred products out of this world across five different channels and mediums uh, in a way that really exponentially increases the, uh, the, the revenue potential of the investment. And so, and that's going to benefit you, the investor, right? I can still talk about my creative idea. Like here's the, you know, in this world, uh, uh, in, in my world, they have a, uh, a really interesting way that these people um, uh, craft their music in the world. Um, and it's really super cool the way they like write songs and the way they sing and they have this really cool, interesting way of dancing. And, but the music is a real important part of the world. And I want to talk about that, right? Most people would stop there, but then you have to say, well, how, why does that make business sense for the, for the person? Well, there's a business opportunity there because this is the way I crafted the world. All of a sudden, not only can we get this film or television opportunity there, but we can also produce uh, independent standalone music. We can have you know a live dance troupe that can spin off and do this really interesting thing. So there's a business opportunity that springs out of the story world in a really interesting way. So also, you know, you think about it right now, the biggest driver in the entertainment industry are games, like games like rule the roost of entertainment. Um, and uh, if you look at successful games right now, they are built on great worlds. World building is part parcel of video games. So if we build the world right, all of a sudden, you know, here's my creative idea. But why does it impact the investor? Well, there's a the market opportunity because this is going to allow us potentially in the future to move into video games, which is a huge market opportunity, right? So you always just have to, don't just talk about the creative, talk about the value, but you can, but a lot of times people will even start extracting that value even before you kind of even get into it, which is, I think is super interesting. There's two, there's two, um, two short films that are really interesting case studies to look at. Uh, one's called Leviathan and another's called Sundays. And, uh, those, uh, uh, if you read about them, those are both short films that have very, they're very light on plot. They're very light on story. Um, but both of them sold massive acquisition deals uh, in the market, uh, millions of dollars uh, that, that are well above the normal spec script market that, that you see in Hollywood. Um, they did massive deals primarily because even though they were light in story, they were heavy on story world. And the people in the studios didn't just see one story, they saw a thousand stories. And all of a sudden, you know, doing an acquisition for it, you know, cr uh, created a sandbox for them to create a lot of sand caps without them, right? So it, so look those up and check those out. I had a, I had a, um, uh, a several years ago, uh, sold a project in China. That was a really interesting, a really interesting story. Uh, but we, I was working with a partner here in the States uh, and we were developing, we wanted to specifically develop something for a domestic Chinese market. And um, we, um, but we didn't want to write a, write a film, feature film script because we're going to need a Chinese writer to do that. Right. So, you know, two, two white guys in LA are going to write a really good Chinese language script for the Chinese market. So we, we knew enough to, to avoid that. So all we did was build the world that the, the, the film would be set in. And so, um, so we, uh, uh, we, we built this world, we put it in a deck, 
Um, and we got a hold of uh, Janet Yang, who right now is the, the president of the, the Motion Picture Academy. Uh, and uh, we got a hold of her, who she's she's Chinese, uh, Chinese, uh, I think she's Chinese American. And um, we said, hey, we want to talk to you about this project. And she said, oh, cool. cool. Uh, send me the script. Right. As we've all heard. And we say, oh, we don't have we don't have a script. Um, uh, we just have a world. She was like, yeah, you know, all I do is uh, you need to send me the script. And we said, listen. It, you, let us take you to lunch you have to eat anyway so uh uh we'll give us 15 minutes we'll talk to you about the world if you're not interested we'll leave you alone she gave us 15 minutes at lunch we go in and we show her this deck of what the world is and she immediately says you know what i see a tv series in that i see a film in that uh and she started kind of like sparking her own ideas so then she contacts uh one of her colleagues that used to run um uh sony china um and um so she was studio head in, in uh i think it was sony asia i think it was not just china but um and she said hey i got the project she, and the, the other lady said hey send me a script she said these guys don't have a script they have this world deck and uh she's like yeah i'm not super interested in that she said listen just look at the deck look at the world she sends this lady that the story world deck this other lady gets excited like you could do this you could do this you could do this then we all go to China and uh, we're in Beijing. We, uh, we get a meeting with um, uh, Johnny Mo, who's a huge, massive director over there. And um, we, we get a meeting with him 15 minutes before the meeting. His assistant says, uh, so do you guys have a script ready? Because he's gonna wanna see the script. So now we have a script, we just have this deck. Uh, so we go in with that script, show him the deck, same reaction. He says, you know what? I think you could do a big animated thing in this in this world and i've always wanted to direct animation and he starts talking to us about this he starts talking to us about an animated opportunity that he sees in the world and we're like yeah that's awesome high five let's do animation um and then all then so he attaches then i go with these two mega ladies and johnny mo and we all go to the studio together we start talking to the studio head the studio head says you guys got a script he says, nope don't have a script have the world deck same thing happens. He says, oh, yeah, we can do anime, animation, live action. He said, can you do water parks in this? And 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 we said, well, yeah, sure. Uh, he said, because I think you could probably do water parks. And I have an outside investment in a water park company that I think would be perfect to tie this into and all this stuff. And all of a sudden, we're like, yeah, water park, high five, let's do it. And so all of a sudden, we did the deal with the studio, never having a script. Uh, and they just did an acquisition of the story world. But it's only because everybody that everybody that looked at the world and looked at the deck of the world, they saw their own opportunities in there. Right. And we were flexible enough to be able to say, yeah, let's let's adapt to whatever, you know, whatever you want. And, um, you know, and, and, and it worked out. But but that's just an interesting opportunity when you hit the creative vein with the world. And that wasn't fantasy. That wasn't sci fi either. Right. Uh, and it was, you know, it was when you hit that creative vein those opportunities pop out, but you always have to pull it back to the value of the story world. Never forget the value of a good story world, the story potential. And the reason the story potential is good is because stories are the products, more products means more revenue, right? So it's not, I mean, I've actually listened for us, the creator and the artist, um, you know, you know, it's about the stories and about the art, but we all know like it's the, it's the movie business or the entertainment industry, right? There's an industry with the entertainment business with the movie uh and so if you don't make any money at what you're doing you're not going to be in business for very long right so so we want we want to be able to generate revenue so that we have 
the resources to be able to tell more stories. And so, um, so I'm, I'm not a fan of starving artists. I, I think we need to be well-fed artists. I don't think it has to be either or art or money. I think we need to marry the two in a really interesting way. So, but, but a great story world creates story potential. That story potential creates revenue potential. And if you always remember to bring the revenue potential back up to the stakeholders, then you're going to have a lot easier of a conversation rather than talking, you know, 74 minutes about, you know, some obscure plant that you created in your story world. Like that's not going to move the needle unless you can tie back to that revenue potential. A great story. Uh, I love it. Um, about that, that particular trajectory aside, it sounds like a lot of the time it's like pitching a startup. Is that fair to say you're pitching a, an IP property? Yeah. Absolutely. Yeah. I mean, you know, ultimately, ultimately these things, if, if you look at these things as their own business, each IP is its own business. Um, it puts you, you as a creator into more of an entrepreneurial um, perspective and an entrepreneurial mindset uh, anyway. But yeah, I think, you know, ultimately this isn't a one-off product. This is something that's going to generate revenue over time. Uh, you can put together a plan that says this is, you know, if done right, this is where I see this in two years, five years, 10 years down the road, um, you know, with, uh, uh, you know, this story being released and we can do these and we can do these novels and we can release the animation and et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. Uh, you're able to do that with the foundation of a story world. If you try to put together a two to five to 10 year plan uh, with a movie, it's very difficult. You can't do it, right? And you think about the people to, to whom you're pitching are, are, are primarily they're not always some of the big private equity, uh, um, you know, film investors. Uh, they're like just usually there's regular people that have some cash they want to do something with, right? So your 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 you know your 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 orthodontist uncle who has an extra two hundred thousand dollars that he's looking to do something with to, to limit his tax liability in another area. Uh, all of a sudden, you know, two hundred grand, right, to do something with. Um, so usually it's 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 those people um uh that that you're, you're getting to you know to to jump in with you uh with these these sort of ventures um but if if you put yourself in a entrepreneurial mindset and understand that business people they see business plans all day long uh especially people that invest they see dozens of business plans every week and a regular business plan like so if you see business plans for like a coffee shop or you know uh, a retail store. All business plans have <clears throat> two to five to ten year breakout, breakouts projections. Like, this is what we're going to do now. This is where we're going to be in two years. This is where we're going to be in five years. This is where we're going to be in ten years. Um, and and that's normal for business plans, right? So this is how I see my coffee shop over the next ten years, right? So so if an investor sees every business opportunity that has a two to five to ten year breakout. And then all of a sudden you give them your business plan for your film or for your immersive experience or your animated, whatever. And there is no two to five to 10 year plan. All of a sudden it's a different language to them. They're not going to say there's something weird. There's something broken with this. Right. Which is why a lot of like regular investors, uh, they, they don't get involved with entertainment projects because the entertainment model is so aberrational to what they typically engage with. Right. So, uh, but if you have a two to five to 10 year plan, then all of a sudden you put yourself in their universe of things they understand. You can't do a two to five to 10 year plan with an IP unless you have a great story world. 
So all of a sudden now we get back. See, 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 I'm not kind of like, I'm vacillating between boring business stuff and entertainment stuff, like in creative stuff, right? Because they go together. You can't have the creative, st- you can't have the business stuff unless you have the creative, right? Because the creative is product, uh, the, the product. But if you, if you don't have the right creative, you're not going to get flow into the business stuff that you need to be a professional. Now, if you're, listen, if you're independently wealthy, uh, and you know you made a bunch of money off Amazon and Facebook stock back in the day, then you may not need. And if you if you, if you finance yourself independently, finance everything yourself independently, then you may not need all this. Um, but if you're yeah. a mere mortal like most people are, and you need outside financing to be able to move this stuff forward, you have to be able to understand both sides of the equation. And if you don't, you're vulnerable in one way or the other. And so, so you have to have that found that creative foundation of a story world to be able to create the story potential that you can then use for a two to five year breakout plan with your business plan. Um, and, you know, and then thankfully, you know, part of the business plan is being able to hedge against risk. And uh, part of the riskiest thing today in, in the market is disruption. Well, what happens when AI does this? And what happens when this platform changes? And what happens when people don't go to the theaters anymore? And what happens when COVID hits and people, you know, COVID, you know, 27 hits and, you know, we can't do live immersive experiences anymore. Like, what do, what do I, what do I do? All right. All of a sudden, if all you've done is created an immersive experience without thinking of the broader IP, you're kind of hosed, right? You're like, well, I can't do that one anymore. I got to go start with drawing board and do something else. But if you created a robust story world that creates story potential that's, that, that includes your immersive experience, but, but your immersive experience isn't the only thing, if COVID-27 hits and we go back into quarantine and lockdown, then all of a sudden we can't do, we can't do that anymore, but we pivot to all the other things we can do, right? And so all of a sudden you hedge against the risk of disruption because you have a sort of a wider foundation built by way of a story world. Um, just a really smart way. I mean, I, I, I just call it future proofing your, your projects. Um, if, if you're the sniper rifle, that's just doing one thing, one story, but you know, the, the, the one character, um, you're just vulnerable. Right. And, uh, so we need to, we need to be more of, I guess you go like a grenade that kind of goes into different directions. Right. Um, and, uh, it, it's just, um, it's just a crazy time in the world. It's a crazy time in the market. It's a crazy time in entertainment. Right. And you need to, to, to be able to hedge as much as you can, and you can't hedge without that story work. Well, it's, uh, it's been amazing, Houston. I, very quickly, and aside, you summoned AI then briefly. Um, what's your, I'm just curious to know what your, what your sort of general take on generative AI is. Does it, can it play a part in this process? Oh, absolutely. 100%. I mean, I'm, I'm, I'm extremely bullish on AI. Um, I, I don't think AI is going to take anyone's jobs. I think people who know how to use AI will take people's jobs. Uh, and, um, it, you know, especially for independent creators, yeah, it, it's, um, you know, it, it's disruptive and it's, it, but it's a tool that allows us to work faster. And so, um, so l- l- listen, there's, there's, there's some, maybe some ethical concerns and some things that we'll continue in conversation with AI that I think are valid and I'm empathetic to. Uh, but, and, and, you know, whether you produce, use AI to produce content, that's a different story. But as far as internal development and world building development, absolutely like crazy how fast 
you you can move through this world building process uh, by you know using things like ChatGPT and Midjourney, and uh, all of a sudden, like even just looking at something like Midjourney, if it, it, it's 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 like having a a super talented concept artist at your disposal to be able to visualize your stuff just in, in thirty seconds, and um, and just for internal development, building your own wiki, building your own decks, things like that. But world building is so visual that you may not have the thousands of dollars that it would take to hire somebody like that, or you may not have the superpower of doing it yourself. Or even if you can do it yourself and pay somebody to do it, you may not have the time to do it, right? Like I said, it's going to take a lot of time to generate all that art. But if using something like Midjourney, you can create thousands of unique visuals that like what's cool about the visuals is like with Midjourney, it's like, it's like, it's like working with an artist who only understands about 30% of what you're saying. Um, and, and, and then they kind of, it just riffs on the, the other 70%. But, but what that does is it gives you ideas. So all of a sudden you put something in the mid journey, it's like, okay, I want, um, you know, uh, a, a giant sandworm that's coming at, you know, that's high fantasy, all this stuff. All of a sudden, like it'll generate something that it's not a giant sandworm, but kind of like a giant sandworm, but, but it's very different. And then it has wings and something that, you know, and it adds in there you're like, oh, that's weird. It's not what I asked for, but like, that's a super cool idea. And all of a sudden it start, it's, it's a brainstorming tool. And um, you can go into chat GPT and, and say, you know, I'm trying to figure out a, like a really interesting style of language for, you know, this group in my, uh, in my store world and give it a description of what your store world concept is. So give me five options of like different ways that I can really change the, the style of language and the style of dialogue for this group. And it just starts riffing on ideas. And, you know, I'm, a, I'm, a, I'm, a, I'm completely convinced that if you use something directly out of chat GPT, like basically a copy and paste it, it's going to suck. Because it's just not it's just not good for that. Uh, like, but it's but it it's good for you to say, oh, that's super cool. I'm going to take it, and now I'm going to apply my thing to to the top of it, and I, it, it sends you in a different direction. So, using Chat GPT and Midjourney will allow you to work through the five Ps like 500 times faster than than you would be if you just have a blank page. And so, you know, speed is the name of the game. I've so. I'm working on this project uh, uh, that I decided six, seven months ago, I was going to go with like the full token on like crazy world building, deep mythology, flora fauna. It's absolutely bananas, uh, right? It's like six, seven months of, of development work, right? Um, you know, as I'm working and doing all this other stuff. So the other day I exported out a hard copy of, basically the wiki that I built guys 471 pages of just world building stuff like like it's like bananas of like how deep this is that, that you can go with this um and it's just me and chat gpt and midjourney and in six months I have 471 pages of the deepest most intricate world building that I've seen and maybe I'm biased because of my work but it's like, I, I, I look a lot of this stuff and it's like crazy deep. I haven't gotten into one stitch of storytelling yet. I've just built, been building this foundation, but it would take me years 
to build 500, almost 500 pages of world building material. It would take like literal years. But with ChatGPT, mid-journey, all of a sudden, six months, right? All in. It's super, and I'm not using any of the mid-journey ideas. I'm using mid-journey as, as like, a, like, a, like an intern that I could like bounce ideas back and forth. And then, and then it gives me my ideas and same thing with mid journey. Yeah. Like it, it's just giving me ideas and I'm kind of like remixing all of it and it's still all my stuff. Right. But so if you go into, if you go into chat GPT and say, build me a story world about this and then like print that and go, it's just not going to be good. It's just AI is not that good yet. Right. Right now it's still going to take the unique creativity of a creator and a world builder to be able to do something meaningful and sustainable. Um, but as tools, like you're the farmer, AI is the tractor. And before the tractor, you could only plow so many fields with you and your cow, right? But now all of a sudden we get this tractor, we can we can plow more stuff a lot faster, right? Again, outside of any ethical current concerns about scraping other people's work, I get all that. But I'm but for internal development, I'm very bullish on it. And especially for world building, it's absolutely huge. So that was my conversation with Houston Howard, recorded as part of Future of Film Incubator 2023. If you want to find out more about Houston or indeed any of the other guests on the show, please just head over to futureoffilm.live. And if you haven't already, why not sign up for our monthly newsletter? So that just leaves me to say thank you again for listening and hope to see you back on the podcast very soon.